Hello, everyone. This is Cheryl Jardine, and this is Make a Scene Canada on Pacific Northwest Radio. Make a Scene Canada is a go-to for discovering new artists. As well, it's a place to hang out with our Canadian icons. I absolutely love, and it's my great pleasure, to bring you the songs and stories of our world-class Canadian musicians. Magazine Canada is sponsored by Zed Productions. Zed Productions is a full-service production company offering the best studios and services to suit your project and budget. From producing to recording and mixing, contact Sheldon Zaharko at sheldonzaharko.com. There is a lot that goes into running this station and its podcasts, and while we bring it to you for free, we could use some support to keep running and growing. Any contributions, no matter how small, are appreciated. If you love the show and would like to donate to Make a Scene Canada, go to PacificNorthwestRadio.com and click the top right where it says Contribute. Click on Become a Patron and then you'll have a few options. You can make a custom pledge and donate whatever you'd like or for as little as a buck a month, you can help keep us and the station rocking. You can also become an official sponsor of any one of our podcasts or online radio station. All the details are on the contribute section as well. And you can always get in touch with us. Our email is pacificnorthwestradio at gmail.com. In the subject line, put Make a Scene Canada or Pacific Northwest Radio, or maybe one of our other programs. And you can find them all on pacificnorthwestradio.com. Find Make a Scene Canada back shows on Pacific Northwest Radio. Just click on the show icon on the homepage. And you can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, plus a whole array of sites all waiting for you to discover. Right now, while you're listening to the show, find us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Make a Scene Canada. We also have a group page, Make a Scene BC, where you can post your upcoming gigs. Don't forget to give Pacific Northwest Radio a like on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Pacific Northwest Radio. Murray Atkinson from The Odds releases Grinding from his new instrumental EP, Mubla Tubed. What is Mubla Tubed, you ask? Let's find out. Plus, we'll take you back to where it all started. So before we start talking about your new single, Grinding, I'd like to go back into time and chat about your musical journey. Is that cool? Sure, of course, yeah. Awesome. So you started playing piano at four, and so tell me a little bit about your musical family. Ah, oh, well, it goes back generations. Um, my dad, um, you know, my dad, his, my aunts and uncles, they all played piano and guitar. Um, and, you know, my dad's dad, my grandpa played piano, and my great-grandpa played trumpet in the, he played trumpet in the big band, um, until he was like 80 years old. Um, so, I mean, it just goes back as far as I, as far as I know and, and, and probably a, and, and farther on beyond that. So it's, you know, it's just always been in the family, right? It's one of those things when I grew up, family gatherings and parties and boxing days and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my dad would pull out a guitar and my uncle would have his guitar and aunt would sing along and sometimes play guitar. And it just was just always music around. So, so the, you were just absolutely kind of uh, fulfilled at a young age yeah, with music super, in your life. Super immersed in it and super, and, and very supported by it too. My parents, you know, they put me into piano lessons when I was four years old and would not let me quit until I finished high school, which became <laughs> a, quite a, uh, a headbutting issue when I was in high school. Of course, I wanted to quit. Nobody wants to take piano lessons when you're in high school, right? Yeah. That's just lame. But um <laughs> Uh, of course, in retrospect, after high school, 
I was very glad, mm-hmm. of course, that I was forced to 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 uh, stick it out and ended up getting up to grade nine in the Royal Conservatory system, which uh, you hit that level, you hit those kind of higher levels, and you, you just learn so much about music and melodies and and voice voicing, I think all that kind of you know technical stuff that you find later in life is an absolute huge asset to have been exposed to. Right. So, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, so I was very lucky to have been, to have gotten, uh, the piano lessons when I was a kid. But then of course, when I was a teenager, that's when I picked up the guitar and was like, no, no, I want to, I want to rock. Actually, my, my husband, uh, Mark Gladstone, he plays with Prism and uh, in my bands oh, yeah. and stuff, too. And so, you know, he, he's a rock guy, too. He's, he'll probably argue with you. He'll be like, no, wait, piano can also rock if it's synth. <laughs> oh, piano can totally rock. Like, yeah. It's just, it's just what are, what's your perception of it at that age, right? And when oh, I was course. taking classical piano, I said, I don't want to play Bach and Mozart. I wanted to play Kiss and Van Halen. Yeah. So, and then of course, as soon you know, then when I realized, oh, wait a second, Eddie Van Halen was actually trained as a classical pianist when he was a kid, and their biggest, most popular hits were all keep a lot of keyboard-driven tunes. You know, all of a sudden, it kind of becomes, it, it kind of starts to become cool. But uh, um, it, it t- took a, took a while to come around to that, anyways. Yeah. I mean, oh. nowadays, I mean, nowadays, I actually play probably more keyboard at home when I'm writing and composing and working on music than, than actual guitar. So mm-hmm. it's absolutely a huge asset to have, especially if you do a lot of recording because everything you play, most of it needs to be played on a keyboard, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, in 94, your first band was Playground. Were they all local guys? Yeah, that was based, uh, we were based out of Qualicum on Vancouver Island. Okay. I kind of bounced back, in between, back and forth between Nanaimo and Qualicum. Um, and, uh, at one point we had a couple of guys from Vancouver in the band. Um, but yeah, mainly, mainly kind of Nanaimo Qualicum based. Mm -hmm. Cool. And you, you did your first album. So I I know that in reading your bio, it didn't last long being with that band, but it's, it's like your first love, right? You never forget it. Yeah. I, I'm glad I, when it happened, when I kind of got fired and let go from the band, I was, of course, pretty bummed about it. But I think I managed to make something good out of it. I actually did learn the lesson that I think I needed to learn. And the reason I got fired was because back then my, my rhythm playing was, was kind of crappy. I was always rushing ahead of the beat and then I was driving the drummer nuts. Mm. And, and that was the reason why I got canned. It's like... And then it, it, that really became obvious when we actually recorded that album because when you record things in a studio, as, as you would know, yeah. everything's under the microscope and you can hear who's doing what. Um, you can kind of get away with being sloppy live, but when you go to the studio, it becomes glaringly obvious who's playing out of time, and that was and that was me. You're like, oh <laughs> no. <laughs> like, we had a great the bass player and the, the bass player and the drummer were totally locked in, and I was the rhythm guitar player slash lead guitar player always rushing ahead of the beat. Ah, so damn. it kind of became obvious and I didn't last long in the band after we recorded that record. And also stylistically, the rest of the guys in the band wanted to kind of go more in a really kind of a more of a punk, uh, like alternative punk direction. And I kind of just wasn't into it. But I mean, ultimately, no, I got canned because I had shitty rhythm. So Okay. You know, I I got kind of I got serious. I I uh, got 
I had I I already had a drum machine, but I actually started to use it and uh, and practice and practice to it to it, and it ended up making a huge difference. And um, it's just something I never practiced. I never tried to have good rhythm. I just mm-hmm. always wanted to be, you know, when I was younger, I just wanted to be the fastest, fastest player. And so you kind of miss those important things. And I remember, you know, one of the teenagers, guys would be like, hey, man, you can play fast, but you should really listen to the blues and get some groove and get some feel. And, you know, that's unfortunately that that stuff just went over my head. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're each on our own paths, I suppose you could say. So it took me a little while longer to figure that out. But, uh, I mean, yeah, that came, that lesson came delivered in a package of getting, getting fired from the band that I was one of the guys who kind of started that band uh, and, you know, it stung at the time, but I moved on. Yeah, Everyone for sure. moved on and. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and in 1999, you started playing with Chin and Jetty and he was just yeah. on my show last month. Are you serious? Yeah. Super talented guy. And so nice. Oh my God. I was absolutely blessed to, we actually became, were roommates. We lived together for about a year in, uh. in 1999. And uh, that was, like, I learned more in that one year than I learned in two years going to music college. It was it was just amazing to listen to him. Like, our bedrooms were basically just right down the hall from each other. And every morning at 10 o'clock in the morning, he started up, and he would have tons of artists coming over to the house. Uh, and he's just, he's always constantly writing with new artists and there'd be artists coming up from Toronto and staying with us for, staying with us for a week at a time and just watching him work and learning about how he did everything. And it was a huge exposure to, to funk and R and B music, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's, that's really kind of also too, when all that whole thing of getting good rhythm and then that kind of stuff really, really kind of started to solidify for me was, was uh, actually playing with him in his band and listening to funk music. And I mean, that's all that it's about, right? Is yeah. the rhythm and the groove and the feel and stuff. And um, yeah, I was super, super lucky to, 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 to play with him in his band and, and get to live with them for a year and just watch and listen to how he worked. It was amazing. Awesome. I'm going to skip ahead to 2007. You won the Seafox Seeds competition and your project yeah. was Swan and the album is Salt March. Now, yeah. it got signed to Pheromone Records, and you had a single, Unfamiliar, who, that made it to the Seafox Top 10, which is really cool. Um, yeah. So I know that fronting bands is super tough. I've done it my whole life. It's hard to keep that band together. And then you, you join the Odds. So it must have been hard keeping Swan going as well when you were with the Odds. Yeah. And I'm, as I'm sure you know, financially, it's just... Yeah. I was kind of footing the bill... Mm-hmm. I was do, I was doing it the hard way. I I I kind of did. I kind of made that whole album myself. Basically, um, I kind of played besides drums. Um, I played everything, and uh, besides bass on like two songs. So I kind of put it all together, and then kind of put a band together afterwards. Oh, cool. Um, when you do, but of course, when you know when you do it that way, you, you kind of got to pay people to play with yeah. because who's gonna who did, they're not vested in the project at all. So mm-hmm. it was always about paying guys, and <laughs> every yeah. gig I did was just losing money, <laughs> right? <laughs> I and know. I can't. I can't even afford to go on tour for more than one week. Like even doing a run around BC, I'm gonna lose like three thousand yeah. dollars. So it's just, and the deal that I had with Fairmont, you know, there was there was no tour support. Uh, unfortunately and that kind of thing. So 
yeah, the reality is, is it just kind of fizzled, fizzled out. Mm-hmm. Um, CFOX was amazing. I mean, they gave me a ton of support when I, I won. I mean, there was like a three year gap between when I won the CFOX seeds and when I actually put that record out. Um, but they were super supportive and played, played the heck out of a couple of the tunes. Mm-hmm. But breaking out and going on tour and stuff, it just wasn't financially uh feasible and you know and i and i was i was trying to do too many things myself and i shouldn't i mean if i was more um if i was better at the whole business side of things i would have i would have been able to find a manager and find and and do all that kind of stuff but it's just i'm just i'm just not that person i'm not a good business person with that kind of stuff so unfortunately it just kind of kind of fizzled out and at the same but at the same time um yeah i've been playing with the odds for for three years already and Mm -hmm. of course that's just like yeah let's do it let's go kidding (laughs) oh my god so did you guys actually connect because you're both on the same record label no no it was uh back in 2002 i ended up getting a house gig in downtown vancouver at that place remember this the cellar nightclub yeah for sure so in 2000, actually, sorry, 2002, um, one of the drummers from one of the Roxy bands was putting together kind of like an, ofi- an official sub in for the house bands at the Roxy, and one of the and and so the the guys that uh, were in that band, one of the bass player was was Doug Elliott, who had been in the Odds. Oh, okay. So we did we did that for about a, we did that for about a year, just kind of like the unofficial sub in band at the Roxy, and then the management really liked. What we were doing because it was a little more, a little more hard rock than the house bands there, and um, so the the management actually gave us a gig on Thursday nights at the cellar, and and it was a Brit rock, it was a British rock night, so we played a bunch of Oasis and Stones, oh, yeah. and and it was a total blast, and and Doug Elliott was the main bass player for that, and and then after about six or eight months of doing it, Pat Stewart came in and started playing drums. Um, who was the odds drummer, right? So, I, mm-hmm. and they were kind of in and out because they were also playing with, like, Pat was playing with Matthew Good a lot in that at that time, and, and I think Doug Elliott was still doing some gigs here and there with Colin James. So they're kind of in and out, but for for about three or four years, it was a regular Thursday night gig, um, and I just got to know them really well, and we totally hit it off musically, and that kind of ended in about two, ended in about two thousand and six, and that's when the odds were getting back together again. So, so um, the call. Got the call. Yeah, awesome. it was funny because I think they were actually—they think they were actually thinking about just doing a three-piece when they when they uh, first put the uh, decided to get back together again. But they were such—I mean, from the from the very very get-go back in the late '80s, they were a two-guitar band. So mm-hmm. um, they made the decision to go two guitars, and yeah, I got asked to join. So of course, it was a, a no-brainer, right? Yeah, like, you're like yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, please. Who wouldn't jump at that chance? No kidding. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, 2012, you won the Hard Rock Alternative category of the 2012 USA Songwriting Competition. For what song? Uh, that was for El Camino. It's kind of like my, I guess that's my one trick <laughs> win a contest <laughs> song. It's, that's the song that also also won C Fox. Um, yeah, I don't even know what I don't even know what drove me to even enter the contest, but I I think I was just at one of those. It was one of those days, right? And it's like, oh, screw it, sure, I'm going to spend the thirty bucks and mm-hmm. enter enter a song competition, and didn't expect didn't expect anything. And then yeah, I got this email that I had won, yeah, finished first in that alternative rock category or whatever it was. 
and uh, that was a nice that was a nice surprise. Yeah, definitely nice surprise. well well deserved for sure. Yeah. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about your completely credence band. Is that still happening? No, I know with COVID, well, nobody's not playing right year. now. Yeah, <laughs> but with <laughs> not you know, the guys year. are still. We had a gig. We had a gig at a, at a theater on the island here that was canceled with two days two days notice because mm-hmm. when COVID hit, we uh, yeah. So because it was it, we because at that point they had just put the limitation to uh, no events over two hundred fifty people. And so we had sold more tickets than that. And I just, I had to laugh. I was like, you can't win as a musician. This is the first Uh, gig I've ever had canceled because we sold too many tickets. Yeah, that's insane. Right? (laughs) It's just, you can't. So yeah, we had a bunch of gigs canceled in in the spring and the the summer. Mm. I mean, it's a drag because uh, that's a fun gig. I've always loved Treasons. And uh, when the opportunity came to join to do that, couple of years ago um yeah i jumped at that opportunity too and it's really only something that we do maybe i mean it probably averages out to one you know a, a gig a month mm-hmm. over the entire span of a year it's not that much it's not that busy but super super fun gig it's like we our set list is almost 30 songs and every song every song you recognize you know it yeah it's like one of the it was one of the easiest easier gigs to learn the songs for us because it's like, I already know this song just from hearing it so many times. Mm-hmm. Who else is in that band? Uh, the singer is a guy named Jamie Robertson. He lives in Victoria. The bass player is from Duncan. His name is Todd Smiley. And uh, when I first joined, they had a different drummer. Uh, and then shortly after I was in, uh, Pat Stewart from The Odds oh, cool. joined. So it's awesome. It's, um, yeah, it's the two of us. Okay, well, well, we'll keep our eyes open once we can actually get back to some normal uh, to see you guys play. But I also want to talk to you about your composing for um, games, the game developers. Mm. I guess you have a right. library of over 300 tracks. That's crazy, spanning multiple genres. How did you actually get into gaming? Like that whole, that's a whole other thing. There's, <clears throat> there's a company who sells, uh, they sell, well, they, they sell game development software. Um and they also so they, they they sell the software and they also sell asset packs for that software. So they sell graphics packs, uh, tile sets, um, character packs, and they also sell music packs that developers can use in their games. And um, in about 2013, I hooked up with them and started making music packs. And I mean, it's a completely different. I mean, stylistically, it's obviously completely different music than I'd really done until that point because it's it's a lot of orchestral based music mm-hmm. um but at the same time it's something that i always wanted to do i always wanted to compose to compose yeah. orchestral based music so uh it was it was a fine it was it was a fi- fantastic opportunity to to kind of pursue that um and it was it's it's just done really good like the the financially it's been, it's paid enough to warrant keep on do to keep on doing it so um i haven't done a whole lot in the past 2 years but i'm always kind of poking away working away on uh on something on 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 a different so i've done packs and all kinds of different styles i've done um, like stuff that sounds like it was it was made for, for video games in the mid 90s so it's really old chiptune kind of 8-bit stuff 
Um, I've done music. I've done, I've done, did a pack that's based on, was really based on the, uh, uh, Ocean's Eleven style, oh, like okay. casino music, heist music, yeah. um, steampunk theme, Victorian era, kind of Sherlock Holmesy inspired music. I've done like a, a metal music, like heavy metal music for battle, you know, battle music pack. Awesome. Um, so all kinds of different stuff. I did an Asian themed pack with um, a bunch of uh, like traditional Asian themed instruments, and actually hired. Uh, a lot, a real uh, Urhu player. Oh, because um, I say real because most of the stuff I use is all sample libraries, mm-hmm. right? It's all virtual stuff. Of course, yeah. But yeah, it's just a matter of exploring all these different genres has been has been a complete blast. It's, it's something fresh, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And it keeps Artistic. you in tune, right? It just keeps you learning more and growing more as an artist. Yeah, I mean, my sample library is is, is growing. It's huge now. So I got all these amazing different sounds that I can and use in, in whatever productions that I want to do. Some of them made it onto the the, the last, last couple of EPs I released. Um, so it's just helpful as a, as a music producer to have that uh, that that toolkit at your disposal, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, who is your favorite guitarist? <laughs> oh man! You, if you asked me tomorrow, I'd be a different answer tomorrow. Oh, would if you, you? asked me yesterday, oh, it'd be a different answer. Okay, today. Uh, okay, I'll <laughs> tell you who I listen. I, I tell, I'll tell you who I was listening to today. Okay. I was listening to a, a guy named Marty Friedman, who's best, who's most well known for his work with uh, with Megadeth back in back in the early nineties. Okay. So he's like he's a metal shredder. I mean, yeah, that's just, that's just the typical stereotype that you would apply to him is that he's a metal shredder. But he's still active. Um, like after he quit Megadeth, he moved to Tito to Japan, and he's still active. And in my opinion, of course, his latest last two records that he put out are just fantastic. And it's not just it's. It's it's so much more than just guitar shredding. As a matter of fact, I don't I can't stand listening to shredders. Um, but his song arrangements are incredible. His uh, his production is amazing. So you know when I'm sitting at my computer doing emails in the morning and stuff, I'll listen to uh, I'll listen to him or or I'll listen to Jeff Beck. Jeff, he's yeah. He's kind of he's kind of a favorite too. Yeah, for sure. Um, I like a lot of his again and the stuff that he's been putting out over the past twenty years. Is amazing. It's mm-hmm. just not your typical guitar player shredder. I'm just going to sit here and solo and wank away over some chord changes. The production is really good. Um, the songwriting, the songwriting, and the arrangements are amazing. Um, so yeah, those are kind of my two go-to guitar guys these days. Okay, cool. And now I want to talk about your single "Grinding" from Mubla uh, Tubed. Am I saying that right? Yeah, Mubla Tubed. Sure. Okay, Mubla cool. Tubed. Yeah, I've heard it pronounced all kinds of different ways. Okay, Mubla yeah. Tubed. Um, I had no idea what Mubla meant, so I had to look it up. And it's Icelandic for a piece of furniture or items in a room, and of course, tubed meaning your amp. I'm presuming. So, are you Icelandic? Kind <laughs> <laughs> of close. Kind of close. You'd have to you'd have to swim across the. Uh, the ocean to uh, my I'm I'm half well I don't know maybe a quarter at this point I've, I've got Swedish in my in my ancestry for sure and okay. uh, I'm I'm yeah I think Swedish British fifty fifty okay so how did you come up with that name Roughly. then 
How did I come up with that yeah. name? Oh, I kind of, I kind of don't want to give it away because there's only one person who's kind of. I kind I don't, I don't want to at this point kind of give it away. Nope. I just want to see what happens with it because it's actually an interesting study in um, how pe- people see things and and perceive things. Okay. Especially in in this in this day and age, but uh, well, I'm, I'm going to leave that as a mystery, a yeah. question mark. No, that's great. We love mysteries, and I can actually use that as promo for the show. <laughs> perfect, perfect. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like yeah, it's like what do you associate? That's, you made a key point there when you associated it with uh, you know uh, tubed being guitar tubes. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, what do you associate that which with which to me is is kind of the interesting thing. So we'll okay. leave it as a mystery. Okay, for now. I like it. I like it. Uh, where did you record it? Uh, everything again. Everything is done at home. Oh man, um, besides, besides, besides dry. Well, actually, that grinding is one hundred percent done at home. It's actually uh, programmed drums. It's mm-hmm. not real drums. It's programmed. Um, so everything was done one hundred percent at home with that song. But the other songs on the record that have drums, those are actual real live drums, which were recorded at the Armory Studios in Vancouver and. Mm-hmm. That was Pat Stewart playing playing those drums. Oh, awesome! And uh, so, but everything yeah, everything else is done at home. Yeah, well, you you are so talented. Oh my God, the you know I've listened to um, some of the songs um, that Eric sent me, and also Moonlight and Endless, and which are totally different than the other songs, which is fantastic. Yeah. It's like this you know nylon guitar Spanish sounding composition, and then Endless is the like this lush um, orchestral piece of music so beautiful it really mm. shows your diversity oh thank you thank you yeah. i i kind of i put those on the record just as kind of uh you know leaping off points or for stuff that i'm gonna do in the future because i've got other stuff just sitting on my hard drive that's half finished that's also in those kind of genres so um yeah, i kind of wanted to make this this ep a little bit diverse mm-hmm. i suppose yeah, absolutely. Um, while sort of maintaining some kind of a focus, which <laughs> for me, uh, maintaining focus as an artist can be difficult because I love doing so many different things. Um, so I kind of put those two songs on there because uh, they will tie into stuff that I will vote, right? So. Okay, cool. And I just, I want to quote you here. You say, part of me loves to shred and play fast, but a bigger part of me loves melody and song structure even more. So how do you find that balance? Um, it, it, it just, if it feels right, it is right to me. Um, sometimes it feels right to shred and play fast. I'm not saying no, you shouldn't ever do that just, just for the sake of never doing that. There's no, there's no hard and fast rule that you shouldn't, shouldn't, should not do something, but you know, it's like when you're listening to an orchestra and the violins are playing this real fast thing and it's exciting for that moment, but they're not always playing fast. But mm-hmm. when it needs to be fast and exciting, then then do it. Mm-hmm. So for me, certain parts of a song need something fast and exciting. And then um, I personally prefer something melodic that you can sing afterwards, something that you can catch, your, your brain can hook onto. And I, I just like that. I like melodies. I, I like counter melodies going on at the same time in different instruments, um, which which might go back to the piano training and studying all those Bach preludes and inventions where you've got three or four melodies intertwining at the same time. I like that stuff. That's what that's what gets my brain off, right? That's what that's what gets the the synapse, the neurons firing for me. Is is that kind of stuff happening? So. Um, 
Yeah, I think it's just always when I when I create a song, sometimes there's no fast stuff. Sometimes maybe there's more fast stuff than melodic stuff, but I think I'll always err on the side of melody um, first and put the fast stuff and the exciting stuff in, I think, when it needs to happen, right? Yeah, that's really cool. Um, also on Grinding, it features gameplay rage voiceovers. And I love at the end when you say, or actually, I thought it was you until I did a little research. That is such a glitchy fucking move. Um, so <laughs> it's actually a guy from a video. So how did you find him? And, and um, that's, that's really cool. Um, yeah, I'm like, I'm not much of a gamer, but I do play, there's like two games that I'll play. And like, I probably play less than 20 minutes a day, but you know, at the end of the night, I just want to chill and relax. There's two games I play. One is rocket league. Cause it's fast five minute round of, of auto automobile soccer. And the other game that I play that I've been playing for two years and cannot freak. I'm only like halfway through it because I absolutely suck at it <laughs> is a game named, a game named Sekiro which is you're playing like a ninja in 15th century Japan. And it's an amazing, I mean, it's, it's an absolutely an amazing game, but the, some of the bosses they have in that game are so like I'll, I'll, I think I just finally beat one boss the other day. It took me like probably over 70 times wow. fighting this one boss just to get by him. So anyways, I'll kind of, I'll go on YouTube and look up how do I, how do I freaking beat this boss? <laughs> Cause I can, like I just, I can't, I, I'm so not coordinated with the controller and I just, so anyways, I, I found this guy on YouTube who makes these how to beat uh, the bosses in Sekiro. Uh. And, uh, but he also, so his name is, uh, Sekiro. He's got, he's got a few different personalities, but, um, he also does these rage play videos where he plays that same game and he plays other games too, but he plays that same game and he just yells at the computer and it's really funny and it's really entertaining and uh i don't know i thought I, I was watching one of his videos one day and just thought that some of those little snippets would would be kind of funny to intersperse throughout the song it's like you're forced to fight like a man yeah and, and, and just kind of stupid little things like that which you know how many fucking chickens are in here it's just stupid <laughs> one-liners that don't mean anything unless you actually played the game and you would kind of know where they came from so I actually sent him a message and um, and and asked if it was it'd be okay if I if I just took his his voiceovers and interspersed them throughout the song and and he said sure. No, it's, it's um, awesome. It, it's awesome. And I mean, yeah, I thought it just kind of. Yeah, I mean, it, I could have kind of taken it or or left it. You know, it didn't. I mean, the song was, I thought the song was kind of, kind of there without the game, without the voiceover stuff. But when I kind of put it in there, as I was putting it in, I thought, you know what, this is actually just kind of cool. It's just mm -hmm. a little more entertaining. So I left, I left it in there and, and uh, yeah. Oh, good move. Uh, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I also, I read on your website how grinding came about. So you say the main riff happened by accident. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I I don't even remember what song I was actually working on, but I I was messing around with some guitar pedals and plugged it into a whammy pedal, and it was set to an octave up, and just kind of played a few notes just to see what it sounded like, and it was just those first kind of few notes from the song. That's not that's where the main the, the first main riff notes, and it was just one of those things like okay that completely not related to what I'm actually working on, but I always record the ideas and uh, just, you know, close whatever song it was I was working on, open up a new song and play that riff. 
And then it's like, oh, that's kind of that's actually kind of cool. Put a little drum beat down. And then as soon as I put the drum beat down, I was like, wait, oh, I can, here's another riff. And then you're wait, oh, here's another riff. It just kind of all kept on. Oh, I just got completely sidetracked and, and spent like two hours working on something that I didn't even intend to work on. But um, sometimes that happens and you you look back and you go, that's actually really kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of, yeah, the whole song just kind of wrote itself as I was sitting there. It's like riff went to a different riff to a different riff. I think it might've moved around uh, after, you know, I, I let it sit and came back to it a few days later. And I think I might've moved one riff over to here and moved a different riff over a different section of the song uh, to there. But um, yeah, the whole thing just kind of, just kind of spilled out all in a, in a stream, right? Mm-hmm. That's very cool. So it's available now, the whole album, on which platforms? Oh, it's up, I think, pretty much everywhere. It's, you know, Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, mm-hmm. all that all that kind of stuff. Okay, um, cool. I don't really pay too much attention to all the other Deezers and, and stuff, but... When I when I distributed it, I, I clicked a whole bunch of boxes, so I know that it is on. It's on Amazon. Um, it's on. Yeah, it's on those mainstream. You can buy it. On, you can buy the uh, download the album too on my website. Okay. But you know, I think I think these days it's kind of moving more into the streaming world. So. Mm-hmm. And so, if people want to find you on social media, what are your sites? Then are you on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram? Yeah, all of those. Okay. Um, they can link to those again from my website, mariaatkinson.com. Um, I mean, chances are, if you t- if you go to Instagram and I forget the exact handle, it might be Murray Atkinson Music. Um, Facebook is something similar, Murray Atkinson Music or, or something like that. Um, but yeah, Twitter. I'm up on all those all those places. I don't. Really, I mean, I don't use Twitter so much, but I'm there. Okay. Um, People yeah. can find you though. Super easy. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of the kind of the things I realized with when I had that, or I used the name Swan for that, for the project 10 years ago. It's like, well, you type in the word Swan into Google. Oh my God. <laughs> you're not going to be found. You know. And, and the timing, you know what, the timing of that couldn't have been worse because when I got, when I put, when I decided on the name Swan, it was like a year before that record even came out. And the album came out in September of 2010. And there was another guy, like there was another guy who called himself Swan in New York. He ended up putting out an album the same week as me in <laughs> September 2010. And then there was a band called Swans with an S. Uh, uh, that you've probably heard of them. They were around in the, in the early or the 90s. Yeah. Well, unbeknownst to me, this whole time they decided to have a, a reunion. So. Oh my God. <laughs> I think they. I think they put out a new record. They might even have been that same month, September of 2010, or if not, then it was really close because well, two months later, I was at Chapters in Vancouver, and I was looking at magazines, and I, I looked at, I think it was Mojo Magazine, and my heart jumped because I saw on the front cover, it said Swan. I was like, what? Yes. They covered me? And then I looked again, it's like, no, it said Swan with an F. Oh, God. I was like, oh, sh-. and then that's when I realized that this band called Swans had reformed and put out a record basically the same time as me. So, uh, you know, nowadays it's all about online, online real estate. And yeah. like, you know what? I mean, using my own name is not the most exciting product name or brand name in the world, but it's super easy to find online. If you type in Murray Atkinson Music, 
You're going to find find you. I know. I I have a similar thing. So I have two bands, one Stone Poets, which, you know, there's no other bands, which is cool, named Stone Poets. But my rock band is called Head. So you can well imagine, like, just typing in Head and you get, like, Head, you know, like, headbands and all this other stuff. And then the other you know, stuff that you don't want to talk about, but so it's just this whole yeah. plethora of things. So yeah, Head's a tough band name. <laughs> no kidding. Well, odds too, because if you type in odds into Google, you're going to get a bunch of gambling sites. Oh, right. right. Anyways, Murray Atkinson is easy to find. Online. Easy to find. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it's been really tough for us as musicians with COVID-19. We talked a little bit about it. And I know you talked about losing shows. I think we lost about 30 gigs, festivals and bookings and everything. Our industry is going to be the last one to come back after this pandemic. So what advice can you offer musicians that are listening to the show? How to use this pause in time right now? The The most... I mean, obviously, you got to pay the bills. Um, I kind of had to transition, obviously, and make up for the lost income from gigging. With you know, I, I do work from home. I do have a day job, right? Okay. And I had to take. I took more hours. I took more hours with with that job on to kind of make up the difference. Um, and then you know, basically, once you got once you got your butt co- your ass covered with that kind of stuff, obviously, you've got to live. You got to survive. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, this year has been pretty productive in terms of writing because I've kind of got more time. You know, I mean, traveling around and playing is fun and I miss it. I totally miss get, getting out and playing live and stuff. But the flip side of that is that I've had a, a total, a lot more time at home. Um, and if you're fortunate enough to have some kind of a recording set up at home, you can, I mean, there's just so much more time to write stuff. Mm-hmm. And and kind of look ahead at next year, and and hopefully this whole thing is resolved. Now I think 2020 is the year to uh, to get serious and try and finish up and get as much music ready to to release next year mm-hmm. uh, when things do return to normal and and, and stockpile. I mean, make what make two make three albums and stockpile it and just have it ready to go. Right? Yeah, great advice, definitely. But at the same time. I get inspired, like my writing muse, I think, comes from getting out and traveling and doing all that stuff. So yeah. um, for me, finding that writing muse, I I do, I got, I got to get up. I take the dog for a walk. I go go to the beach, go, go for a hike in the mountains and, and refresh and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, finding that muse has been a bit tricky this year, too. But if you can find it and capture it and you've got the uh, facility to 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 do it, then I think this year is, is definitely going to be, there's probably going to be a whole lot of music released in 2021. No kidding. <laughs> like, I think there's something like, 20, I think 2019, there was something like 20,000 songs a day being uploaded to Spotify. Wow. Like something crazy, right? Something crazy. Like I know this year that it's probably quite a bit lower, but man, like when it does get back to normal, I think it's going to be a flood of new music hitting the markets, right? Yeah. And I think also the appreciation of people coming to a live show. I think we're going to, we're going to see that people are going to be like, oh my God, I miss that so much. And they're going to come and support music. Yep. That's going to be a booming. That's for sure going to be a boom. Like the festivals and stuff, all that stuff that they're going to sell out fast mm-hmm. when it does all come back. So yeah. Yeah, looking forward to that day for sure. Yeah, no kidding. All of us are. I want to thank you so much for being on Make a Scene Canada today and sharing your music with us. Best of luck on your new album and single, and please stay safe. I will, and thanks. thanks for your time.
was Grinding by Murray Atkinson. You can find Mobula Tubed on his website as well. You can find links to his social media sites and music download platforms there. And that's the show. I'm always grateful to share our Canadian artists and their music. Leave Pacific Northwest Radio on 24-7. It's music online all the time. You can find my past shows. Just click the Make a Scene Canada icon on the homepage of Pacific Northwest Radio. As well, you can find Make a Scene Canada on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, plus a whole array of sites all waiting for you to discover. 
big shout out to my Magazine Canada sponsor, Sheldon Saharka from Zed Productions. All you rock stars ready to record your new album or single, check out Zed Productions at sheldonsaharko.com. The music that you're listening to right now is from my band Head, recorded with Sheldon, and you can hear more Head at headmusic.ca or listen to my softer side, Stone Poets, at stonepoets.ca. You can also find me at shereljardine.ca and please get in touch because I love hearing from you. Take a few minutes out of your day and share the artists on the show. Share Magazine Canada and Pacific Northwest Radio on social media. Signing off now. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, let's make a scene, Canada. See, 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 see.